Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. I told Susan uh, one more time visiting here, and we won't be able to park in the guest spot anymore. Uh, but that'd be all right, uh, because anytime we go be with the brothers and sisters, it's, it's our forever family anyway, right? And so I'm really glad to be here, and, and such a privilege to be asked to back to visit. Uh, I was uh, really enjoyed the song out of which this uh, uh, Celebrate Jesus seminar is based around. And those words that were given me today to talk about was the word broken. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? I love that statement. We do. And do you wish that you could see it all? made me. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about, about broken. Uh, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm familiar with brokenness as we all are because we have broken times in our life. We have that part of the journey that, you know, get, gets on top of us sometimes. Uh, but in particular, this week, uh, my, uh, uh, our niece in Shreveport, as a young woman who became very, very sick, and so uh, it was very serious. They still have her in ICU, and that was on our hearts. Then a dear friend of mine who lives in Baton Rouge, it used to be a part of our church family, his name's Tim Lawson, has pancreatic cancer, and so Susan and I went down and prayed with him and his wife, and just the, the brokenness of dealing with all that, although there's some good things, some restoration of some relationships that are happening so there I mean he has the faith he's taking it in the right way and I, that's okay I don't I don't need no no you can leave it here a brother does a, a brother did a good deed I hate to I don't want to take it away from you brother uh but then uh, it, the deal is brother if I have a something like this I preach longer no I'm just kidding <clears throat> um and then, they, uh, then in the middle of all that, uh, Susan has a first cousin that has uh, a tumor on the brain. He's on hospice. There's not much longer there. So we're driving up. We're talking about how long our prayer list is. And it's raining and foggy the whole way, you know, and the weather just kind of dampens everything too. And I'm like, okay, uh, what about why this subject broken? Why couldn't you give me the subject joy, you know, or something? Maybe better things would have been happening. And then a dear friend of mine uh, named Joyce Moore passed away yesterday. Let me tell you about Joyce. My first ministry in Uvalde, Texas, I met this lady. And she became a mom to me and Susan and ministered to us. We went to her family for every holiday, every celebration they had, every birthday in their family. We were included every Christmas because we couldn't travel and go back to where, to where I lived. And it was a long way. And, and uh uh, you know, Uvalde's on the edge of the earth down there. So, uh, but, uh, but, but we loved it there, and they became family. And when I left Uvalde, Texas, this, I met her in 1980. And when I left there in 85, uh, this is how much she means to me. I have called her by phone every Mother's Day. I talked to this woman to tell her Happy Mother's Day. And uh, this last Mother's Day was my last day to do that. And she passed away yesterday afternoon. And it's the mixing up. I'm so glad that her misery is over. I really am. But there's some sadness. There's, there's stuff there too, right? Brokenness. 
And it hits all of us. You hope it doesn't hit a whole bunch at one time. And then when I think about that, a little bit of me is like, look, there are people who go through a whole lot more than me. You know, and so I, I can't get too much down about that kind of thing. But I thought about the word broken, then I, and, I, and I actually looked up a dictionary, in the dictionary definition and about, about what happens when something is broken and it's, it's surrendered and it's messed up from its original form and all those kinds of things. And I thought about the first time I ever experienced breaking a bone. I've only broke one bone in my body. And uh, so the, the, uh, what happened, it was on a, it was, I was in, I don't know, real young, knee high to a grasshopper, how we say it back home. And we were, uh, it, it snowed up in the hills of Arkansas, and they were iced over. And we were sliding down, walking up one, sliding back. And me and my old buddy Dennis we uh, slid down, and we got up to walk up, and I grabbed the sled, and he started falling, and he grabbed my arm, and we fell, and the first thing that hit the ice was my nose. Some of you, I'm, ooh, I'm, I'm glad you're sympathizing. I can see the ooze out there. I mean, just, I mean, and that, look, that's why it's crooked today. Now, I know you'll never hear the rest of the sermon. You'll be looking saying, that thing is crooked. <laughs> that poor guy. He needs help. Uh, but, but the reason it stayed that way is because I went to the doctor, which my dad didn't take us to the doctor for much. But I went to the doctor, saw swelling up, and I said, Doc Baltz, and I said, Doc, what, what, what's going to happen? He said, well, when the swelling goes down, we're going to relook at that. And, and what we can do is we got a little rubber hammer. We'll re-break it and set it. And when he said re-break, I said, I'm out. I said, I think it'll be all right. Well, it might not bother. I said, it's not, it's not going to bother me. <laughs> So we left it at that. So, sorry, Susan, if that's what you're stuck with. Broken. Sometimes, something's broken. There's pain a lot of times. And there's, sometimes there's even pain in trying to eradicate that and fix it and get things back straightened out. And sometimes you can never straighten out what's been broken. Matter of fact, most times you can never straighten out what's been broken. A marriage has been broken. Relationship with the kids have been broken. All these kinds. Of, and you, you would love, after you come to the Lord, you would love to go back and try to fix all those things. But you cannot go fix everything. We're not the great physician. Now, we have a great physician, right? But we're not it. Well, how did this whole thing about hopelessness in the world, people being broken, how did it all start? I think maybe we need to look there. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to, to Genesis, chapter 3. By the way, while you're turning there, I want to just share with you a couple of things to just tell you how broken our world is. In the month of May, next door to you in Dallas were 49 murders. One month. Every day in there are 3,000 abortions per day. We live in a broken world? We do. Human traffic and sex trafficking is a $99 billion business in our world. And it's happening all around us. Over 24 million people enslaved through human trafficking. More than 50 million abortions since 
the decision of Roe versus Wade. Broken world? That's not even talking about the addictions, the family mess-ups, the drug, alcohol, the abuse in families. All, I mean, we live in a broken world. Now, sometimes there's this tendency to think that our world is worse than any other time of history. It's not. You know, there's a couple of things that remind, there's a rainbow that reminds us of that. In the days of Noah, it was so bad, he says, every inclination of man was to do evil. Every inclination. It was his first leaning. And God gave a fresh start there in the days of Noah. Remember that? But before that, how did this whole thing get started? Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. By the way, she added that you'll not touch it. Don't, the Bible doesn't say you couldn't touch it, but somehow or another she stuck that in there. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And man's had a problem covering himself ever since. That, that's not in there, but just want you to know that's still problematic. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded that you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's our first hint of the gospel, by the way, right there. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it uh, you were taken. For dust you were, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take and also and eat of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. May God bless the reading of the word. This story is not a myth. This story is not a fairy tale. This is the facts of how sin entered this old world and caused all this brokenness that we deal with now. This, the context of this sin entering the world is just like your, your and our problems today. I mean, can you imagine there they are in the garden, everything available to them. Have you ever thought about, you know, boy, boy, how would I live if I won the lottery? How would I live if I had everything I wanted? I, I mean, they had it. They were there. There's no improvements to be made. And yet, all of a sudden, Satan shows up on the scene, and guess what happens? In this, in this conversation that takes place, he places in her mind and in her heart a distrust for the Word of God. That really what God said, really, it really doesn't mean what he says it means. Matter of fact, he causes her to doubt and distrust the word. And he causes her to doubt the goodness of God. And he says, matter of fact, you, look, not only when you want to eat this, look, it's great. And her eyes see it. It's attractive. She wants to taste it. All her senses are involved. She wants the intellect that it offers. And Satan talks her into thinking that God, what he told you, just really isn't true. How many times do we have a hard time believing that what God has set out there really isn't true? Because God has set a boundary out there for him, and it's a great boundary. It's to protect him and love him. And yet, here's the, here's the lie Satan always gives you. This lie that somehow or another outside the boundary of God, there's more life to be had. There's more joy to be had. There's more happiness to be had. And somehow or another, God's just keeping me from that. And, and so I don't really, but I really distrust him and the goodness he has in store for me. Because I think by seeing this, all of a sudden, I can have more. And that's always the lie Satan says. There's more to life. This idea of staying pure in life and living, oh, you don't need to do it. There's more out there. One of the big leaders back in the 60s movement, all the sex revolution, all the revolution that took place there said, once people can get rid of the boundaries in their mind, how much, how much more they can love and how much more freely they can love and be happy with us. Just a lie from Satan. That somehow or another, outside the boundaries of God, there's more to be had. Look, God has your best interests at heart from the very beginning. There's nothing, I promise you young people, there's nothing outside the boundaries of God that will make you, give you any more happiness or give you any more joy than being in God. That's where true joy in life is. But boy, Satan bought the lie, and we keep buying it over and over ourselves too. 
And somehow or another, whatever that boundary God set up, that tree, that, that holiness verse, he says, you know what? Just beyond that, boy, you can really enjoy life. So sin entered the world. And she distrusted what God believed. It's the same thing that happened over in Romans chapter 1. I want to turn over there and read just a little bit. In Romans chapter 1, I love the book of Romans. It's one of my favorite books. Because it really explains the gospel and the power of it. Because in the first three chapters, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he describes the theme of the whole book. The gospel is the power of God to save. And in the gospel, God's righteousness is going to be revealed. Curtains pulled back. People see how great God is. But the first three, 121 through 321, is the, the condemnation of mankind. He's going to show how the, the Jews condemned, the, the Gentiles condemned, the pagan man condemned, everybody, moral man, is going to end up all need Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And then in chapters. In chapter 4 and 5, he's going to talk about being justified by faith, like Abraham did and David. And there's results of that, because Romans 5, when you have faith in God, you have access, you have, you, God grows you up, and, and he proves his love to you, and you're going to have a lot of great blessings. Matter of fact, he even reminds them about how to, how to stay holy. In Romans chapter 6, he says, hey, remember your baptism. Remember how it would set you free. And you put away the old man and all the good things that come to and then the struggle that happens in Romans 7, I, that's what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing, and we all fight that battle. But Romans 8, it's a great chapter, right? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for we've been set free from the law of sin and death. And God works out all things are good, we're more than conquerors, nothing separates us from the love of God. Matter of fact, uh, God's vindicated in 9 and 10, and he'll take care of running things. We don't have to. In chapter 12 through the end of the book is application. Therefore, here's how you live for God. Here's how you use your gifts. Here's how you treat your enemies. Here's how you treat your government. Here's how you treat your families. Great, great book of good news, but it starts with bad news. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Without excuse. Without excuse. Got it? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Look at there, by the way. They exchanged the truth of God for a, what? Say it with me. A lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what Eve did. That's what she did. 
Because of this, God gave them over their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now that's a pretty dark picture of the world that Paul is writing to a church in Rome. I know we think our world is dark, and it is. And it's broken. But it's not any more broken than in the days of Jesus In Romans chapter 3, he says this. You probably can quote this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the... Now finish the sentence. Come on, finish the sentence. You see, I got this verse. I, they, my Sunday school teachers, they crammed this one in my head. All have sinned, and I knew they meant Mike. But, I mean, they're saying all, but just to make me feel a little better. But it meant they were aiming it at me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. I just wish they had made me memorize the rest of the sentence. Have you ever looked at that? Hey, don't you ever teach your kid to memorize this verse if you don't have him memorize the rest of the sentence. Because here's the rest of the sentence. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Why didn't they get me to memorize that? They gave me the diagnosis was right. All has sinned. I'm broken. The world is broken. We need something. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I needed to, not only need, need the consequence announced, I needed the cure. And the cure was justified freely by his grace. And I need the cure. I don't need to just tell I'm broken. I need somebody to tell me the cure to this brokenness. You see, it is a darkening shadow of brokenness around us. But what people who are broken typically don't need to hear is that they're broken. They know it. I learned a long time ago in playing ball and coaching and everything, and you have some kid and, and he's a really good player, and a, 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 a ball's hit on the ground at second base, and it goes between his legs, and you've taught him a thousand times to get the apron down and all those kind of things. 
And when he comes to the dugout, the last thing I need to do is to say, point out what he did wrong. He knows what he did wrong. He's got to have some help to get that burden off of him to do right next time it happens. So you got to take that off of him. you got to have an idea that says, yeah, you messed up, but look, it's okay. We'll make up for it. It's going to be okay. The next one, you won't have that problem. Because if you don't and you just jump on him, guess what? There'll be so much pressure, he'll mess up again, I guarantee you. Try not to do the wrong thing. Broken people. And look, if I could put individually your life on this screen and list and show all the things in your life that's messed up. I mean, if I could just say a name and do it. One, you would take off running. Who wants all that on there? I wouldn't want you to see all my mess. But think about that. We've got to get out of this idea of trying to hide that we're broken. The first thing Eve and Adam did was run and hide. Like they could hide. Yet that's all of our instinct are the same as theirs. Let's go hide. Maybe somehow or another. We can get out of this. Yet God always knows. You're not surprising God about anything. Look, God came seeking them when they were broken. Got it? He came to find them in the garden when they were broken. And he had already designed a plan in his mind of how he would rescue not only them but the rest of the world through their brokenness. What kind of a church do we want to be? I love, her name is Ruthie, and I love Ruthie dearly. She gets up, and she shares her testimony at our church. And she tells about the misery of, that she was in with an abusive, alcoholic father. And then her journey into sexual addiction, and then her remedy of abortion. And then she shares how God has totally changed her life. And now she's been a faithful member for years, several years at our church now. And it's helped so many other women and young girls who go through that. And to see her sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning, you would never know that about her life. And she gets no enjoyment talking about it, but what happens is she, when she does, she gives people hope because there's somebody out there in the pew that's just gone through that themselves. You see, to broken people, it's not us hollering about the sin they're in saying how broken you are and how terrible that is against God. What it is, is it's us, God's people, showing the grace of God and saying, look, we've all been broken and just come in and join with us in your brokenness, and we'll figure out a way through this thing. Broken people need a place to go. When all other churches won't take somebody, I hope the message in this community is, look, uh, I, I don't know about those other churches, but hey, go down there at that urban church. They'll take anybody down there. Right? That, that needs to be the reputation in this community for this church and I think it already is headed that way so that when someone struggles with same sex attraction and they're looking for hope where are they going to go? 
They don't feel like they can walk into a church and talk to anybody about it. But they need to feel like this church cares about that. And look, we'll help you in your brokenness. We'll figure that thing out together. See, to celebrate Jesus means to celebrate the rescue from the brokenness that we've been involved in. And there's hope for everyone through the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I don't know who you have on your heart or mind right now. I want you to think of one person you want to invite tonight, tomorrow, the next couple of days. Just one person. It may be the person that imitates you the most. Uh, 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 the most. I mean, they, it may be the person that intimidates you. It may be the person that, that's, that's bullied you. It may be the person you don't get along with. I don't know. Just one person you're going to say, hey, look, just come one time. I always tell people, come one time. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. Just come one time. Invite them to get under the sound of people who are singing about, talking about, and preaching about this one Jesus who died for their brokenness. And let them realize, look, your hope's not in religion. Your hope is in relationship with someone that seeks you out called the Son of God. You see, in Genesis, he says to the serpent, he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head, and when he does, he'll bruise his heel. That's Jesus. He's stepping on the snake's head, crushing it, even bruising his heel. And he is said to be, have a broken body on the cross. His brokenness brings healing and hope to the brokenness we live in. And God planned that a long time ago when this old sin, when this old sin-filled world started. Every time you see a thorn, bush raised it up or a thistle in the ground you say sin sin did that curse the ground Romans 8 says I think they're going to deal with it later another lesson they, they, even the earth is groaning for freedom you see when Jesus comes back everything that sin impacted everything from the earth to our hearts to our lives to our bodies everything will be totally reversed and set free even the creation of the world. That's why I'm not worried about my sister Joyce. I'm going to go down there and bury her this week. I'm going to put her body in the ground. But you know what? No problem. Because God is going to raise that body up. It'll be changed to live forever. It's coming. The body's coming. Not just the spirit, not a ghost. The body is coming out of the ground. Because Jesus' body came. See, man's not a man without his body. Body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus died for all of us. So there'll be a great resurrection. That's the hope. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what we want for every individual in our community and in our families. By the way, just let me say this too as I kind of wrap up here. Some of you parents might have kids that are away from the Lord. 
makes holidays difficult sometimes. Maybe your kids are following, you have some young adults, you're following Jesus all your heart, but your mom and dad never came to the Lord. Love them. Treat them with grace. And never give up. A lot of them have had the gospel seed planted in their hearts a long time, and the jury stays out a long time on all that. Parents, it's time you take the burden off your back. It's not your fault. Adults make their own decisions. But it is our desire for them to reconnect with Christ and find the hope that we have. And to see that, quit pronouncing we've all sinned. They know they've sinned. Had a lady ask me, Mike, my daughter's in a lesbian relationship. She's coming in for Christmas. What I, what I tell her, what I do, this kind of thing. I said, well, I mean, she knows where you stand, right? I mean, you, you've talked to her about this. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, don't, don't tell her how wrong she is anymore. She understands that you believe she's not in a good relationship, good situation. She understands. That she doesn't need that anymore. What she does need to hear is that there's a way out. You can be justified freely by his grace. She needs the rest of that sentence. Hope is in the last half of that sentence. And hope is what we want people to, to know that this church is all about. I love what you do here. I love your servant attitude. I love your Celebrate Recovery ministry. Because all that says is we don't care where you are in life. We got the hope of the gospel and you can be a part of this. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for the day. Father, this, Satan's done a number on us. A lot of broken situations. And a lot of us right here have been in those. Some are still in them. But Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for your grace and your mercy. Father, we're grateful for your mercies that you said are your book that are new every morning. And thank you for that. Thank you for the newness we have by being in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the new seasons you bring about in people's lives. Thank you, Father, for the people that you are going to reach with the good news through this church this week. I pray for hearts to be broken because we know that you are close to the brokenhearted. And I pray, Father, for there to be rescue of people and an encouragement to others that you want to use this church to do mighty things in this community. What a great group of people, Father, and I'm so honored to be with the brothers and sisters here. And I just ask your blessings upon this day and this week. In Jesus' name that we pray and the church said...